Welcome in. If you have not seen this movie, you probably shouldn't be here, but with that said, let's review Birdman. Oh, those gross spoilers. When I had just arrived at film school, there were two movies that were coming out. These two movies completely divided my film school because you were either Team Birdman or Team Interstellar. There was no, there was really no overlap. People like didn't, ah, I kind of like both. No, it was one or the other. I chose Birdman. I'm not a fan of Interstellar. I've seen it the one time. I don't need to go back to it. Birdman I've seen multiple times for how groundbreaking it is. Interstellar was groundbreaking too, but I only ever hear Christopher Nolan fans talk about that movie. I think Inception is way better than Interstellar or Tenet. So, Birdman, Interstellar, drastically different movies. Birdman is high art. Interstellar is high budget. We have a stacked cast in this movie. Michael Keaton, which I think that his career at this point was kind of at a standstill. He was doing movies like the other guys and kind of dipping his toes back into comedy. I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. But he plays an actor in his late 50s here in this movie, trying to figure out where his acting career belongs. Does it belong on screen? Keep playing the same superhero? Because he used to play this Birdman character a lot like Michael Keaton's Batman. A lot of parallels that can be drawn there. This superhero that he used to play is a metaphor for hit the prime of his life and his career. So right now, in his current stage in his life, he's putting on a play to help revive his career and get professional, creative acclaim from the industry. Emma Stone plays Sam, his daughter. Zach Galifianakis plays Jake, his assistant. Edward Norton plays Mike Shiner, who's another actor. Naomi Watts plays an actor in the in the play. And then Andrea Risenborough. This movie was directed by Alejandro Iñárritu, who has directed Amores Peros, 21 Grams, Babel, Beautiful, and then The Revenant after, after Birdman. He would go on to use the same cinematographer in Revenant that he did in Birdman. That cinematographer is... Emmanuel Lebetsky. This dude, Emmanuel Lebetsky, broke ground during my time at film school. He won the Oscar for Best Cinematography three years in a row, which was hotly debated because a lot of people felt that uh, Roger Deakins should have been winning, or at least should have won one of those years in there. It's, it's a good thing for Roger Deakins that he has finally gone on to win his Oscar that he, he hadn't won yet, but it was well-deserved. I believe Emmanuel Lebetsky's nickname is Chivo. I think they call him that in the industry. I have to give a shout out to some of the, the movies that this guy is responsible for shooting. Children of Men, Burn After Reading, The Tree of Life, Gravity, Knight of Cups, and Song to Song. Chivo is so well known for his wide lenses. Even on a close-up, he's using a wide lens, which is very unusual but it gives it this look. You just know the movie was shot by him, even after, uh, I mean, a, a few different frames or shots. The entire movie is made to look like one continuous shot, Birdman. Even though it took well over 30 days to film the movie, it all looks like one shot. The amount of blending through rehearsing and skillful editing is breathtaking. Editing only took two weeks because they had they were so accurate when they shot this movie. The actors had to perform up to 15 pages of dialogue 
in some of these scenes. Also, while keeping in time with very planned out choreography. No, it's not a musical. This movie showcases the many different ways that insecurities reveal themselves to other people, specifically satirizing the, the ego of an actor and how fragile it is, and it pinpoints some of the main stereotypes, especially when it comes to gener the generational gaps into the craft of acting. Meaning if you have a 60-year-old actor and a 30-year-old actor, their approaches to the craft are going to be very different. Our first image of the movie, we open up on an asteroid heading towards Earth. And then a smash cut to Regan, our, our main character, played by Michael Keaton. Regan is just sitting in his dressing room in midair. And we hear this super deep voice come in and start narrating. We can tell that it's Regan's mind just speaking. So already there's a supernatural element to it. We're introduced to his daughter briefly and it's very unpleasant right away. She seems to be in a similar mindset as her dad. Like everything's crap. What am I doing here? This is a waste of time, waste of life. For him it's all internal. For her, she's vocal about it even though they're both miserable. Regan is late for rehearsal for his play, so he gets in there and they're already acting. The supernatural element is shown again really quickly when Regan is dissatisfied with one of the actors, so he looks up at one of the stage lights and it falls on him, which is a surprise, even though Regan knows that he kind of made that happen. But he can't think about it. He, he has so much to work on right now with this play. Regan is being talked out of doing this play by anybody around him. They want to alter it, they want to make it more profitable, but Regan just wants it to be good. That's what's important to him. He wants the creative acclaim over the financial gain. The actor who was hurt by the light, he's now been replaced by a much bigger actor that is way more talented and exciting of an actor to have in the cast. Now it's a stacked cast. Edward Norton's character comes in, Mike Shiner. This new actor who comes in, super late notice, wants to get into the material right away with Regan, the director. He seems way more serious about the material than Regan is himself. Mike Shiner starts to steamroll Regan, and he knows everybody's lines better than they know their own lines. Mike's even confident enough to strip down naked in the wardrobe area, and everybody's like, whoa, what are you doing? And he's like, it's theater. They're like, we're just here to take measurements. Not of that. He definitely comes across as being even more problematic for the play because this is already a very high-stress situation. As a company, they put on their first preview in front of an audience. Mike totally interrupts the first preview showing because he went method, quote-unquote, and, and he actually drank alcohol instead of just pretending. So he goes on this screaming rant and tears down part of the set and Regan is pissed off. It's such a disaster for him and his, his production. Back in the dressing room, Regan is met by his ex-wife, who is Holly from The Office, where he tells her his plan to refinance their Malibu house in order to put on this play. He is putting it all on the line for this play to happen. And the two of them, the, the these two ex-wife, ex-husband, make a lot of references in their conversation to Regan's past career and what it once was. And even they talk about the project that drove them apart and caused them to split. He's always chasing the acclaim and the praise of his own peers, which has, up to this point, kind of cost him his life. Regan and Mike have such a different philosophy when it comes to putting on plays. Mike thinks that the previews are where you figure everything out 
and Regan obviously thinks, no, we need to have the play ready for the previews. This is where the clashing of generations comes in. Things are slowly developing with Regan's daughter, Sam, and she's just kind of treated as like the bottom of the barrel. They have this really powerful scene in which uh, there's this heated debate and she, Sam, has the last word. She goes on this rant about how out of touch Regan is and says a lot of things that he knows to be true, but he needed somebody to say it to him for him to realize. They're words he never expected to hear from his daughter. She calls him out about his deep fear, his deep fear of not mattering and fading into oblivion never having left a mark on this world. Then it goes to their second preview, and this shows us the final scene of the play, which goes over a little bit better, except for Mike Shiner's erection during the play. He's such a dirtbag, he actually wants the sex to be real on stage. So there's a lot of deep-seated tension on the stage happening that, that the audience doesn't see, but we do, watching the movie. This is where the relationship with the critics kind of comes into play. It's a, that's a big theme throughout the movie, too, is Regan and his relationship to the critics, who all have their own followings and all type their own little words about his play. That's what the public then thinks of their play, because of this critic's review. They have to coexist, Regan and the, and the whatever it's called, critic. They have to coexist. They are both relying on each other in order to remain in business at all. Regan finds out that Mike Shiner said something to a critic in a newspaper, and Regan gets so pissed that Mike Shiner's words were so widely published about this play, and it, and it hurts the play. Mike has been trouble for the play ever since he arrived, and Regan is stuck with him because they've already signed the contract with him. This is when Regan's Birdman voice, the deep growl of a voice, start to, starts to get a little bit louder and more aggressive showing the decline of Regan's mindset. He has a breakdown in his dressing room where he just he's just arguing, shouting stuff. He's so self-deprecating. He tears, he destroys his, his dressing room. And I love, he's like in the middle of throwing stuff and then it pans over and Zach Galifianakis is just standing there with his clipboard. And Regan's all pissed off because he thinks the play is hurt. And Jake, Zach Galifianakis says, uh, we're sold out. We sold out tonight, and Regan's like, we have to shut down the play. But they do the preview, and Regan, during one of his times, like, off stage, he just goes out for a little smoke. <laughs> and he's in his underwear and a bathrobe, and his, <laughs> the door clo closes and locks while he's outside on his robe. So he, he has to abandon the robe and walk around the building, meaning on New York Boulevard, or whatever that street is which Michael Keaton just actually did. They didn't close down the street. They just said, hey, Michael Keaton, can you strip down <laughs> and walk in New York City? So that's a funny scene. So he just makes it onto his cue of the final scene of the play. He's in his underwear and <laughs> holding, holding his finger for the gun. But, I mean, really, the audience isn't going to know. He's not supposed to be in his underwear. They're not going to know that. I love that Regan gets to the stage and the prop master hands him a gun. And he's like, yeah, and then he has an actual gun. Regan has a run-in with that critic at that same bar. And she rants about how much she hates Regan. That he has such a cartoonish pursuit of stage plays and theater itself. She has no respect for Regan and his career whatsoever. So when she's done, he rants about her. <laughs> 
and how much he hates critics and, and the lowlifes that they are. He even breaks glasses in the bar and tells her this play is costing me everything. Knowing that she has the power to destroy his play, she even says, I'm gonna kill your play before she walks off. So Regan has this, has this scene of just kind of walking downtown drunk, walks into this store full of Christmas lights, and there's this dude shouting out on the street, and it's really intense. It's such a tone. I don't know, it, it just evokes some deep emotion in me every time I watch that scene. He's totally hallucinating, and Birdman gives him this whole motivational speech that he's a god, that he can fly, he can do anything. This leads Regan to go up to a building and step out onto the ledge. The Birdman's right, because he's the representation of Regan's ego and where his pride lies. He flies back to the theater, but all of this Birdman stuff, I don't ever consider to actually be happening. He never flies. In fact, he flies in right in, and drops right in front of the theater and walks in, but there's a cab sitting there with its door open, and the cab driver gets out and chases Regan inside going, hey, you never paid me. So that shows us that Regan is just like spaced out. He actually did take a cab there, but he just, you know, we see it as him flying, showing us that we're a part of Regan's hallucination. He gets to his dressing room and tells his ex-wife, because she's there again, he tells her that at some point when they were together, he actually tried to kill himself. He tried to drown himself. And he tells this brief story, and it speaks to the mental illness deriving from some of the big regrets in his life. The end of the play ends with his character, Regan's character on stage committing suicide, but Regan takes it upon himself to put an actual bullet inside the gun and actually shoot himself on stage. And the audience doesn't know how to respond, and then they start clapping because they're like, oh, the play's over. And with him just having told that story about trying to commit suicide, now we see that this has kind of been on his mind. He might have that tendency to just go there to suicide in times of hardship. Then Regan, for this final scene of the movie, it shows him not having successfully committed suicide. He's laying there in the bed. The reviews that come out about this play are raving about the play, calling it hyper-realistic, where somebody shoots themselves on stage for the sake of the play. He got the critical acclaim that he was looking for. His daughter comes into the hospital for this, you know, she tells him all this about the play. They have this one very last tender scene. Sam takes a picture, posts it on Twitter, saying that, you know, his stunt earned him like 80,000 Twitter followers in less than a day. The movie ends with Regan stepping out onto the window of the balcony. We don't see him jump, but it pans over and his daughter had, had exited the room. Now she comes back into the room and the camera goes outside the window and we no longer see Regan. She runs to the window, she looks down, she can't see him anywhere, and she looks up and she can see him. That's the end of the movie. It's a strange ending and not a lot of people get it. In fact, the director has said that there are as many interpretations about the ending as there are seats in a theater. So there's no right interpretation. A lot of people think that Regan jumped out the window right there, I don't. In that story that he tells, People actually think that he did drown himself, and now this whole play is him in this purgatory of afterlife trying to come up, trying to make sense of, of his career in life. I don't necessarily think that the final scene actually happened. 
in the scene, he has a new nose. Like, apparently he shut his nose off. And the nose, the new one, makes his face look very different. And I wonder if that wasn't the purpose to show that his the, the light of his career has shifted now because of what he did at the end. So that his daughter looking up is almost like she's finally looking up to him. And that's just a visual, visual representation of that. Like his image is no longer tied to being the old superhero. His image is new. Either way, I don't believe that Regan took off flying. I don't believe that Regan fell. I think that this is just a, a way to show a, an ego death and the transformation that's taking place in Sam's heart towards her own father. But I love this movie because of the insecurities that are on full display, along with the ego. Massive insecurity, massive ego. Those two combined, I think, really creates an artist. And I love this movie for everything that it does with its symbolism, with the the heavy production that went into this movie, the rehearsal time, how to make it look like it's all been in one continuous shot. It's just so good. This movie is better than Interstellar on pretty much every level, and I say that from a filmmaker who loves high art movies, not high budget movies. This movie had a couple locations, and Interstellar has set after set after set, and it's just, it's belligerent. So I love Birdman. I love that I got to review it. Hopefully you guys have already seen the movie and are familiar with Inarritu's work, with Emmanuel Lubetsky's work. If not, I, I, I wish that I didn't know about them so I could go discover them again. I hope that you go discover some of this, some of this work. Thank you guys. That's my review. Thanks for being here. Peace.